So the question that we have for today is, what is your aim in life? You know, this is a question I've been asking for a while. I think it's a very important question. Of all questions you can answer in your life, you need to be able to answer what your aim or your purpose is. This helps you in every area of life. You know, I, I posted this question, and I love honest people. Someone reached out to me, and they said, I really don't know my aim in life, but I know I want to get to heaven. And I was like, that's a great answer. I like that. Like, at least they're honest to say, I don't know what I'm going after. I think, honestly, we have to start there to say that we don't necessarily know what we're going after. But I'm going to ask you this. How can you live with any purpose and any intentionality without an aim? Aim gives you focus. It tells you where you're going. I'm telling you this. If you learn how to find the aim of your life, life will still be hard. It'll be discouraging, but there's a power with the way you walk. I'll give you an example of this. And this is even in a secular realm, know what your aim is. There's a guy named, I don't know if anyone knows who this is. Probably not. You know him, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, is a, this is a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. So he's one of the best right now in the league. And so um, he was looking at his, they were like reviewing, he was on a podcast and they were looking at his contract and they said, you easily could go anywhere else and get paid more. So he gets paid, I think, $10 million a year. One of his teammates, after they won in Kansas City, left Kansas City to Miami, and he's getting paid $30 million a year. Yes. And they said, don't you want to go? And he's like, yes, I would love more money. But he said, I like winning more than money. <laughs> and so he's like, I'm going to stay in Kansas City. He's like, it's not worth it. And obviously for him, you know, $10 million a year is Pretty good money already. But if you don't have an aim, guess what? 20 more million a year looks really appetizing. It looks like, hmm, I kind of want that. But he knows exactly. And I'm telling you, the teammate that left to go to Miami hasn't won. He's, he's getting paid a lot of money, but he's not winning. So in the secular realm, you need to understand what your aim is. Individually understand that. But especially in Christian life, recognize what your aim is. So I want us to take a few seconds. If you have any thoughts, do you have any idea what your aim is in life? Well, my prayer is that as we engage with this, I think this is one of the themes that God has given me for my life. So you might hear this often, but we're going to look at one aspect of it today. But my real challenge to you is figure out your aim. Otherwise, you will be aimless. You will be purposeless, and you will get to 40 one day and realize, what am I doing with my life? You'll get to 60 and realize, what have I done with my life? You'll get to 80 and said, what a wasted life. And we never want to get to the point where you said, I lived a wasted life. So what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to look to Jesus, how he determined his aim. We're going to be looking at some verses and figuring out what did Jesus do to determine his aim in life? And maybe he will give us some guidance on how I should figure out my aim. So let's look at the first verse, which is Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 through 17. And we're going to, I'm going to read it. And it said, when evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So let me ask you, what do you notice in this text? Okay, so it's fulfilling what the prophet had said. So the first thing I recognize about Jesus, how did he determine what to do with his time? He let the prophets kind of guide what he should be doing with his time. Second thing, Matthew chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. 
So it was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things since the creation of the world. What do we see? How did Jesus teach? He taught in parables. Why did he teach in parables? Fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. Okay, we keep reading. As they approached Jerusalem and came, this is Matthew 21, 1 through 5. They came to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with their colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. Let me ask you, why did Jesus choose to ride a donkey? To fulfill what was spoken. Are y'all getting a theme what's going on right now? We'll do one more and then I'll be done. John chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. When it was almost time for the Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins on the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered what was written. What does it say? Zeal for your house will consume me. So how did Jesus determine what he needed to do? How did he determine his emotions in this? He did whatever the prophet says. So what do we see? How did Jesus determine how he lived his life and he determined what to do? Through the scriptures that he had. And here's what I want to tell to you today. Jesus knew his aim through the scriptures. You know, he spent time studying, understanding, and living the scriptures. You know why today we have people who don't have any aim? We have lost the love of the scriptures. The scripture is something we have to study on Sundays or one day a week. And then in my free time, yeah, it sits there. We like to look at it. Even from a young age, what was Jesus doing? He was thinking deeply about the word. Even when he was a kid, you know, his parents left. But what was he doing? He was thinking about it. He was talking about it. Here's the thing. You, we have no aim because the word has no value in our life. If you want to find the aim of your life, you have to get in the scriptures. And not just read. You need to dig into it and understand the heart of God. Jesus understood the heart of God and it guided his actions. You see, even all of the things he did, what did he decide to do in the evening? The first verse, he did what God told him to do. You know, think about how we determine our plans for the evening. What do I feel like doing today? Right? Jesus literally determined his plans by what the scripture said. Like how he decided to fulfill his ministry. How, like, you know, his ministry was to teach people. He could have taught anyway, but what did he decide to do? What the scripture said. His emotions. How did he determine his emotions? By what the Bible said. Everything about us is us. I just figured it out myself. You don't have to. He's given us a guide through the scriptures. So if you honestly want to find your aim in life, if you want to live a meaningful, purposeful life, you have to start getting in there yourself. Stop waiting for someone else. Stop waiting for a Bible study. Get in there. The beautiful thing goes as you do those things and then you come together with the body of believers, it comes to life more. But you have to spend time by yourself in the Word.
So I just want to challenge you, don't take lightly the Word of God. It gives us a basis. You know what I mean? Why is the Word of God so important? The Word of God is so important because think about why else, what are you doing? How do you determine what you do for an evening? What I feel like. Well, how far does that get you? Not very far. But when you say, God, what do you need of me? And you do that, you know how powerful that is? You know how meaningful that is? And I'm not, I'm not saying be super serious. Like, and you hear that you might be like, man, I got to be serious all the time. You know, some days, like you said, it might just be God saying, have rest. Go hang out with your friends. But listening to God is important. Listening to what he needs of you is so important for your life. It makes your life meaningful. Man, I can't, I can't wait till we see a generation of people who rearrange their life around this. Because when you rearrange your life around the scriptures, you are a testimony to people. Let me give you an example of this. Eric Little was an example of this. And he was a guy who was born to missionaries. He grew up loving the Lord, and, but he was really good at track and field. Right? So Eric Little, um, at the age of 22, earned a place at, on the British Olympic team and was competing in the 1924 Paris Games. He was in the 100-meter dash. The 100-meter dash is the, it's, they consider the, the winner of that the fastest man in the world. But there was a problem because when was the race? Sunday morning. So he said, I can't compete. And they looked at him. He was one of the favorites to win. You know, for committees and those people, they're just like, we want a good show. We need our main person to come. But what did he say? He said, my scriptures say on Sunday I need to remember the Sabbath. So he didn't race. Can you imagine that? You have literally worked your whole life for a race, and you, can, you would be famous forever. If you won that, literally, your name will go down in history. If you work so hard for one thing, and then it's the day. It's, I'm sure somebody would be like, dude, it's okay. One Sunday, if you don't go to church, it's not a big deal. <laughs> we would go to that point. But he said, no. The scriptures mean everything to me. So he didn't race, and they were so angry with him. Um, when he, then he said, I can offer to run the 400-meter race on Monday, because that wasn't on, on the Sabbath, and few expected him to win. He thrilled the fans, though, by winning the gold medal, and not only winning, by setting a new world record. The stunning victory is portrayed in the movie Chariots of Fire. His testimony went with him because he stood for something. And I want to challenge you. We have lost a generation who care about the word and stand for something. So what I, first thing I need you to do, the first piece of homework that I want you to write down is this. Find a verse or a paragraph that you can live out. Genuinely, like Jesus literally lived out what the prophet said. So maybe you pick one verse and you say, okay, the verse that God like really speaks to me, because here's the thing, God always speaks to you very uniquely and purposefully, right? He'll speak to you. Maybe you read the verse that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you're like, that's my key verse of my life. I want to do that. Or maybe it's God says, love the orphans and widows. Make that the verse for your life. So I want to encourage you today, find a verse for yourself that gives you guidance. I can give you my example real quick. This is one of the verses of my life. John 10 verse 10 says, the thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. 
I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is one of the themes of my life. Every time I read it, you know, sometimes I'll speak. I know when it's a theme of my life, when I speak it, God just gives me words. Jesus gives me epiphanies about it. And I love this one. He came to give me life. He gave me a full life, not just a weekend life. You know, a lot of people are just living for the weekends. A lot of people are just living for a vacation. A lot of people are just living for one thing in life. I want every day to be full of life. You know the way I think about this? It's, it, have you ever seen those squeeze things that you, uh, that you pour into water to make juice? It's probably really bad for you. Like you squirt, you squirt like a little bit into water and it makes a juice. You shake it up and it becomes a juice. Have you ever seen those? And the way I think about it is, you know, for a lot of Christians, they have 90% water and one little squirt. And that's what God is to them. And guess what that tastes like? Nothing. It's plain. It's like nothing. You don't even flavor. There's no flavor at all. When I think about this verse to my life, I think I have maybe 50% water and I want four or five squeezes. And I shake it up and guess what? There's a full flavor every day. Man, you see the way that I live? I'm on fire 100% of the time because of this verse. This verse, because it reminds me, you get to live a full life. Every day you get to live a full life. So my challenge to you is find a verse to live by. Can we try to do that this week? Try to find a verse or a group of verses just like I have John 10, 10. Here's where I'll end today very quickly. I think God has given us a verse for our church. And that's where we're getting into John chapter 13. This is the verse for our church. And this is the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And so it was just before the Passover festival. I'm going to read it for those who are online. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own and who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to, to portray Jesus. Uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Simon, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you're clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And, what, uh, and that was why he had said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So um, this is, I think, a passage that will guide our church. I think this is a passage that we should try to live by. Obviously, the name of our church is serving. the Serving Church. And I think this is the greatest picture of the service of Jesus. So I'm going to look at four things that I think our church wants to stand for because of this verse. So the first thing I think we want to encourage is that you want to have personal responsibility. One of the big things that I say in a church or our church is that if you notice the way I preach, 
it's always walk with God more, walk with God better. Personal responsibility is an important thing. I see in this verse, it was just um, in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come for God and was returning to God. So when he had an understanding of himself, he was able to live into what he, God needed of him. Right? So the first thing you have to recognize and understand today is this. What is the thing God needs of you? You have to have a personal responsibility. And once he knew who he was, he was able to overcome and live into what was needed. I think many today live in a church where they want something that makes them feel good. We love hearing a message that talks about how my problems will go away. Where I don't think that's what the message of Jesus is about. The message of Jesus is about you have more that God is calling of you. You have more that God is calling of you. You have more that God is calling of you. And you might, I want you to leave church almost thinking, man, I need to walk better with God. So the first thing I learned from this text is you need to grow yourself. Our church wants you to start taking responsibility for yourself. Personal responsibility is going to be important. The second thing I see is take responsibility to grow your family. You know, Jesus could have gone anywhere to wash the feet. Can you agree with me? He could have done it in a public place. But whose feet did he wash? The people who were closest to him. One of the saddest things to me in churches today is the people who are leading the worship and speaking on the stage have the worst family life. How is that possible? How can you be speaking about the love of God and the things that God needs of you and your life is so much hell? Doesn't make sense. So one of the values of our church is the first place that you start your ministry, the first place that we're going to be growing ourselves is in our family. My hope is this, that even as we speak week by week, your home becomes a mini heaven. I really want you to think like that. I want your home to be your first ministry. One thing you think is, amongst the people whose feet Jesus was washing, who was in the group? Judas! the one who was about to betray him. Who else was there? Peter, the one who was about to deny him. People who might hurt you are the people that you also need to love. We see the closest ones. The closest ones can hurt us the most. And he says, I want you to love them also. So this text will be a guide for our church that not only do I need to take personal responsibility, which I speak about often, but you need to take responsibility in your family. And how will you know you've taken responsibility? Your family life becomes a heaven. Your friend group becomes a heaven. Where, where you are, there is God. So that's another big uh, important thing of our church. You're learning our church right now as I'm sharing these things. The next thing I want um, from this text we learn to take responsibility to become articulate. You know, one of the saddest things to me is we have Christian people today who don't even know what they believe. If you were to ask them a question, they can't even articulate their faith. They can't even talk to a non-believer. They don't know what to say. But yet we have some of the best speakers. What's the benefit? If one person knows how to talk about God, I'd rather have seven people here, 10 people, 100 people. Let's teach people how to articulate. So that's one of the things, and if you notice me, I always post the question. Because I want you to be talking. I want you to be thinking. That's when you grow. You look in this text, right? Peter has no idea what's happening. Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. And he says, yes. And he said, no, you can't wash my feet. And then Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. No part with me. And then what does Peter say? 
Okay, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body, right? He has no idea what he's saying. And this is to me a picture of the church. We have no idea what we're saying. If a non-believer asks you, do you believe in God? You're like, oh, I don't know. Like we start getting sweaty because we have no idea how to articulate ourselves. So one of the things that I want to encourage you is practice articulation. This is one thing our church will stand for. Finally, the last thing I think our church will stand for and this text will guide us is taking responsibility to experience God. You know, the right of the believer today is that we get to experience God. And yet so many churches today don't experience God. Man, I want to tell you story after story of experience of God. I love reading it because it increases my faith. So this is a story I heard recently. So there was a missionary who went to go pray in the woods. One of the ways some people connect with God is they go to a separate place and pray. And a man came to this missionary later and said, just to be truly honest with you, I was coming to rob you one night. Him and a group of his friends were going to the missionary because they knew he was in the forest by himself. And, he, and then the missionary said, why didn't you rob us? And the missionary said, well, you had 26 men around you. And the guy said, I was just by myself. You know, so he was a missionary. I don't even know what country it was. Well, this man came back to the States to the church that sponsored him. And he said, he stood up and said that testimony where he said, God protects us. And he said that story. And then one man stood up that night and said, we felt led by God to pray for you that night. And the man said, so he said, me and a group of people got together and prayed. And he said, can everyone stand up who prayed? And one by one, 26 people stood up. Isn't that crazy? And this is today. This is not like 1700s, 1800s. You don't understand the spiritual realm we're dealing with. So one of the things that I want to encourage you is Jesus offers that. And I see that in this text. You know, obviously, we, when we see Jesus, the miracles, it's like raising someone from the dead. We see him giving sight to the blind. And my belief is that in this church, we will see that. But even in the most intimate way, you see a miracle of Jesus, that the God of heaven came down as a man and serves humanity. To me, this is one of the most beautiful, and I don't know if miracle is the word, but like experiences of God that the disciples got to experience. So that's another thing our church will stand for. We want to have such close experiences with God. We don't necessarily need all the big stages. We just want the intimacy with God. So these are four principles from one text. One text that we will hopefully stand for that will guide us. You notice how in none of that do I say we want to go evangelize and go share. But here's my belief. I truly believe this. As you take on these four, you will be such a light to people. You won't have to go prepare this script of how I evangelize. Your life will be evangelism. So I'll end with kind of where I started. What is your aim in life? You know, I personally have my own aim in life. This church has an aim. Like we want to be, we want to look like Christ. And John 13 will give us a guide. Now my prayer is that each one of us personally will have an aim. My prayer is that you look to scripture. Stop just trying to make decisions by yourself. But ask God, God, give me clarity and guidance that I can do what you need of me in this lifetime. And here's my vision. Can I give you some more of my vision? God has been giving me, this is the last thing I'll say. God has been giving me more and more vision about who we are. But I really believe that there will come a time where each one of us are walking fully in our calling. That in the week, as much as you're working on your day-to-day -day job, 
as much as you're working out, working on your financial goals, you are just this image of Christ. You are so dedicated. In your time, you don't waste it. We use our time to draw closer to God. And as our family lives change and become many heavens, and as we learn to articulate, our meetings on Sunday become fire. Like we come together with such an anointing because everyone is moving in their calling and their aim in day-to-day life. So my prayer and my vision for you is this, honestly. I see this, that we will be a force together to take down the strongholds of the enemy and do something meaningful for God. So please, take the question seriously. What is your aim? Figure out a name, and as we, as our church has a name, fill in. See how I can help in the aim of our church. And my prayer is that as we do this more and more, we become an image of Christ.